Well, welcome to church. Let's turn to the Lord and ask, us, ask him to speak to us. Maybe just open your hands before God just now. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you're among us. Thank you with everyone as they're watching, wherever they're watching, wherever they're joining from, or whether they're listening to the podcast or watching this retrospectively. Thank you, you're with us right now. God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray you'd enter into our rooms, enter into our walks, enter into our cars, wherever we are, and meet with people just now. God, would you speak to us through the Bible, which is your word? Would you change our lives? We, we invite you, God. We, we don't want to back off from any challenges. Challenge us where we, where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And I pray for anyone today who doesn't yet have a relationship with you. I pray, God, today, let them come into a relationship with you. In Jesus' great name, amen. Amen. Well, really warm welcome to church. My name is Pete pastor here at Destiny, and uh, we're going to start a new series. We're going back into Matthew's Gospel, and we're in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew 6, we're going to be discovering Jesus' unpacking how we can overcome worries and challenges in life. Now, the first worry he tackles, actually, is financial worry. I know financial worry is one of those things that can cripple people, and maybe some of you joining today, you feel really burdened by financial worry. Let me, let me start by giving us some perspective. This I've got a rope here. As an illustration, just just imagine for a moment this rope. Imagine it just goes on and on and on. It's you know it's for eternity. <laughs> imagine it just goes just goes on and on as far as the eye can see, right around the world a few times, then shooting off a tangent into space. Okay, just imagine and imagine for a moment this rope is the timeline of your life and my life, and this little bit at the end of the rope, this little piece that I've masked off, this, that bit there is our time on earth. That's the life we're living. We're kind of, maybe I'm about here. Some of you are down here. Others of you are way up here. All right. But we're somewhere on that journey. And, and the, but the reality is this life is not everything. We had a beginning, just like this rope had a beginning. We were born. We had a beginning. We came into existence. But the Bible teaches that we are eternal beings. Our lives will just go on and on and on. But the Bible also teaches that how we live in this bit here, who we are, our convictions and faith, our relationship, most importantly, with God or otherwise, determines how we spend the millions of years that are to come. Now, some people, they make everything all about this bit here. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, look, it just goes on and on, and yet they make everything about this bit here as as if this is the most important bit. You know, they kind of spend all their lifetime, work really, 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 really hard so they can just chill out at this end bit here, maybe take up golf or enjoy some holidays. I'll get to travel a little bit here. I mean, seriously, is that wise? I'm not saying don't have a pension. I'm not saying don't have a plan for retirement. I'm saying if that's all that this is about, you are missing the plot big style. Life is more more than this life. And to make your life all about this life is to miss the point of life in the first place. The reality is, when Jesus talks to us about our worries about life or about finances, he puts it in the context of we are people who will live forever and there is a God in heaven who our allegiance is ultimately due to. You know, who's the fool? The person who lives in this life for the glory and honor of God that they will be serving for all eternity. Or the person who lives in this life like there's no God and like it's all about this and yet they're ignoring the fact that we will live for all eternity. Financial worry is a big thing. And that's why actually Jesus taught a lot 
about finances. I don't know if you know this, but in Jesus' teaching, 16 of the 38 parables he told made reference to finances. Did you know that 25% of Jesus' teaching and words touched on finances? Why did, he, why did he do that? Well, first of all, he knew that we worry about it and we get consumed by it and it could become an idol for us. And the reason he taught so much on it is because he's concerned about your soul. So come with me. In, this, in these verses we're going to look at, Jesus is giving us four questions to ask. And they're challenging questions, but they will help you. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus said, and this is the first question, what is your motive? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So then, when you give to the needy, notice Jesus doesn't say if you give, he says when you give. He expects us to be generous. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Jesus was referring to the religious leaders of the day who made a big song and dance about their uh, outward morality and yet didn't really care what God thought. They, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, that's as good as it's going to get for them. Just a little bit of praise from people and they've made life about this life. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's so significant. In other words, live your life in a way that's not before people primarily, but live your life in a way that's primarily before God. The word seen, when it says, Jesus said, don't practice your act of righteousness to be seen by people. It's a, the, the original New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word used there is the Greek, I'll try and say it, I won't do it in a very good Greek accent, uh, theanomai, theanomai. And from it, we get uh, an English word, theanomai. The first four letters of the, of the Greek word give us a clue. Thea is the first four letters of the word theater, and we get the word theater from this Greek word. And the, the word literally means to gaze on a spectacle often used to describe public shows in a theater. And what Jesus is saying is don't live your life as if you're an actor in a play and you're trying to prove something to human beings. He says, live a life that's before God. Live in the light of God and live in the light of eternity. And that's the best motive. And he said, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You're doing it for your father. You're living. You want to be a blessing to other people? Absolutely. Love them and do it in the name of Jesus. Do it for the glory of God. But here's the thing. It says, the Bible says, when the father sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. What would that reward be? Well, the answer is in the Bible. If you look, I, I can show you dozens of verses. I'll focus on one. Dozens of promises in the Bible that shows us that when we are generous and when we give and when we are a blessing to others, that blessing comes back our way. Here's, here's one of the great verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11. This is the Apostle Paul in the context of finances speaking, and he said this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's using a, an agricultural terminology. He's, he's, talking about, he's talking about your finances like are like seeds, and if you sow a little seed, you'll reap a little harvest. But then he goes on to say, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In other words, you sow a lot of seed, you're going to reap a lot of harvest. 
Each one should give what he's decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a tearful. No, no, he didn't say a tearful giver. He said a cheerful giver. He loves cheerful givers, people who are just generous. Remember what Jesus said? You know what the Father sees? He's looking for people who are not saying, all right, I'll do this to be seen by others. Or even, and this will be so warped, I'm going to do this so God will give to me. That's so warped. You do it because you love your Father. And when you do it with that joy, you reap an abundant harvest. Listen to what the verse goes on to say. And God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly. This is in the context of finances. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's incredible. Why would God want to bless you? Well, God would want to bless you because you're a cheerful giver. You've not made your life about you. You've not made your life about consumerism. God can trust you with wealth because you're not making life about wealth. You're being a blessing to God. You're being a blessing to others, and He resources you so you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Wouldn't it be amazing to have such a consistent supply of resource that there was never an occasion when you were not able to be generous? Well, that's what the Bible describes, and that's what God wants for you. I remember uh, about 19 years old, I remember being at a church service in Glasgow, and I just remember vividly it was offering time, and the offering was going, I, I, I didn't have much money, but I had, I don't know, some notes in my, in my wallet. I didn't know how much I had, and I, I, just, I just felt in my heart, I just want to give everything I've got in my wallet to God, and I just went into my wallet. I didn't know what was in there, maybe 20, 30 quid, which is a lot for me in those days, and, and I just put it in the offering basket. And as I put it in the offering basket, I remember so clearly, I mean, that was, I'm 44 now, that's when I was 19. I remember so clearly God spoke so clearly into my heart, and he said to me that I am going to cover your entire future financially. I've got you completely covered. All of your days, I'm going to bless you with abundance. He told me that, and I didn't ask for that, and I didn't give to get that. I just heard him say it to me. And so me and Ange, we've never made our lives about money. We've never made our agenda about money. And yet we're so blessed. We really are blessed, but we've never made it about that. And this is what the Bible teaches. He will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. See, live a life of generosity for God. If you're, and, this, and this takes you away from being worried. You see, if you're living a life where life's all about your life and you're consumed with worries, you're forgetting the big picture. There's a God, there's an eternity live a life of generosity in this life and God will cover your back and make sure you're provided for. Next question, Jesus, as we continue in the verses is, what are you investing in? Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the ancient world that Jesus was speaking in 2,000 years ago, people measured wealth in three ways. Your wealth was measured by your gold, your garments, and your grain. And what Jesus is saying is this, listen, your gold can be stolen by thieves. Your, your grain can be eaten by vermin. And, and, and then your moths can eat your garments. And just, just to make a point here, Moths don't eat your garments while you're wearing them, all right? You're not like walking along the street saying, get off me, moths, stop eating my clothes. They don't, they don't eat your garments while you're wearing them. They eat your garments while they're sitting unused in a store cupboard. Jesus isn't speaking here about having things. He's speaking about having a stockpile of things 
having an unnecessary amount of things that are just sitting in stockpile, in neutral. Jesus is a problem with stockpiling. God is a problem with stockpiling. It's the person who's completely stockpiling and not and their, their wealth and their resources are in neutral, whereas they could be used for greater purposes. That's what Jesus is saying. The Apostle Paul says something very similar in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Listen to this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now, let me just stop there for a minute because I know some of you now switch off. You think, okay, I'm not rich, so this verse isn't for me. Okay, but before you think that, bear in mind that half of the world's population is living on about two pounds a day. If you're earning more than two pounds a day, according to the world's population, you're rich, this verse is for you. Instruct those, the Bible says, who are rich in this present world to not be conceited and to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So in other words, okay, you've got wealth, but don't put your hope in your wealth. All right, I've got some money in the bank. I'm okay. No, no, don't trust in your wealth. Wealth just will come and go. Trust in God who doesn't change. Don't trust in uncertainty of riches, but in God who richly supplies us with all things to, say the words, enjoy. See, it says that in the Bible. See, God has no problem with you enjoying your wealth. In fact, the Bible says one of the reasons he's given you wealth, it says he supplies us with all things to enjoy. God gave you your wealth partly to enjoy it. Some of you are so religiously, you feel guilty about going on a holiday or going out for a meal or having a nice car or having a hobby. Get over yourself. Chill out. Part of why God blessed you is because he wants to bless you. He wants you to enjoy your wealth. Now, let me, let's get it in balance here. If you make it all about enjoying your wealth, and this is what some people do, all their wealth is about their enjoyment and they don't consider anything else. That's imbalanced. But God does give you to enjoy, and he, here's why he also gives you. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So God gives you wealth to enjoy, also, God gives you wealth to share. If all you're doing is enjoying your wealth and not sharing your wealth, you're missing the point. If all you're doing is sharing your wealth and not enjoying any of it, you're missing out on part of how God wants to bless you. You've got to have the balance. And then it goes on to say, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This type of person, they know God has blessed them. They, part of it they enjoy. They go on a nice holiday every so often. They go out for a meal every so often. But do you know what? They consistently are generous. They're just a blessing to others. They give to the house of the Lord. They give to people. They make a difference in their family because they're not just living for themselves. And they've got this balance and they're storing up for themselves a treasure for eternity. And that's what, how God wants you to live, not just live for this small bit on earth. I love what the great reformer in the 18th century, John Wesley, this is what he said, and this is such a good principle for life. Listen to this. I have three principles, great principles when it comes to money. Principle number one, earn as much as you can. Principle number two, save as much as you can. Principle number three, in order that you may give to God as much as you can. So, I think they're great principles, and I try and live by those principles. In fact, I teach my kids to live by those principles. So I love you so much, folks, that I want to give you the same advice I'd give to my kids. 
All right, this, I believe in this passionately. First of all, earn as much as you can. It says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, Poor is the one who works with a lazy hands, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Go earn a good wage. Make, now, don't sell your soul for that. Don't be in a job that's constantly stressing you out and you're burning the candles at all ends. You know, have a job you enjoy, but work really hard and earn well. Great. God has no problem with that. The Bible teaches it. Earn as much as you can. Number two, save as much as you can. Proverbs 20, verse 21, verse 20 in the Living Bible says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now, just a moment ago, Jesus challenged stockpiling because that's a sign of unbelief. It's a sign of not trusting God. It's a sign of, it's a, it's a waste of resource. But here, the Bible does, however, encourage good investment and good savings. That's prudent. Stockpiling is unbelief. And I want to encourage you to learn to have a good savings plan. Do not live on credit. Some of you, Christmas is coming, and your plan is you're going to buy stuff on a credit card and pay it off through the rest of the year. Do not do that. Give smaller presents this year. Don't use a credit card. And if you're in debt in any way, clear the debt you've got as quickly as you can. Prioritize that before you spend money on anything else. If you want something, save up for it and then buy it when you can afford it. Simple stuff, folks. This is advice I'd give my kids, but I want you to thrive financially for the glory of God, not for a consumeristic lifestyle. So clear your debts. Um, you, save then buy. This is the way to live. Live within your means. You know, when it comes to living, one, one debt that is maybe acceptable is a mortgage. Because if you've bought wisely, you can clear that debt in one step by selling the house. And I want to encourage you, if you're a renter, you're paying someone else's mortgage for them. Why don't become an owner? I encourage you. That's what I encourage my kids. Why, we want, why, pay, why pay rent? If you can get to the point where you can buy a property, that's a wise move. And if you are a property owner and a little bit more money comes in, Make an overpayment in your mortgage. Even if it's just five or a month, just get the ball rolling. The next year, make it a tenner a month, then 50 quid a month. And then clear your mortgage as quickly as you can. You have no idea the long-term financial impact positively that will have in your life. It's to invest your money. Leave an inheritance for your kids and for your children's children. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I know I'm... <laughs> I might be sharing stuff that kind of seems way beyond where some of you are at just now. But why not have a vision? Why not have something you're working towards? So earn as much as you can, save as much as you can. And John Wesley's final advice was give as much as you can. I love this. Listen to this verse. I mean, this totally turns on the head the work ethic the world gives us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those who are in need. I mean, the world will tell you, work for a living. But the Bible here says the reason you should work is for a giving. I mean, that's totally, totally countercultural. Instead of working for a living, why not earn as much as you can so you can give a lot more? I mean, that's a good motive to earn, right? And I think that's the, that's the picture God wants us to have, that life isn't about ourselves. And so we give tithes. That means 10% to the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone should do that. And blessing flows with that. We give almsgiving to the poorest of the poor. 
tell you what, you, you're giving to things that are close to the heart of God. The church is his bride. You give to that, it blesses God. You're caring for the poor of the poorest of the poor, widows and the orphans and people who are struggling. You're blessing the very heart of God. And you're giving over and above offerings. I love being able to generously give, and I want to encourage you to do the same. My dear dad passed away in August, and I'm the executor of dad's estate. And as one of the things I've had to do is go to the bank and close down his bank accounts, and we're dealing with the sale of his house and his land and different things. And it's a hard process, but you know one of the things in the middle of that hardness that really blessed me is when I came to close down dad's bank account, the number of standing orders he had for this missionary organization, these people distributing Bibles, and these people caring for the poorest of the poor, and the church, and I just thought, Dad, you were a generous guy. I didn't, I didn't know how generous he was, but he was giving a large chunk of his income away every month as a 93-year-old. I just want to encourage you, live, live a life that is bigger than your life. Uh, we're, we're about to inherit, me and my sister, we're about to inherit a lot of money from the sale of Dad's house and from his bank accounts and from his, from his paintings and so on. And do you know what? I'm in the middle of the sadness. I'm super excited to tithe of that inheritance. I can't wait to give a 10% to the church. And over and above that, I've got a number of situations and things I'm wanting to give into to alleviate some situations. And we're going to invest some in property as well. Earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. Live bigger than yourself. Live radically generous. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, if you live in this life without God, you're going to die. And you're just going to live forever without God. If you live in this life with God and for God, then death simply is a transition into an eternal existence with God and for God. It's called heaven. And living without God in this life and in eternity is lostness, it's hell. God wants better for you. God wants to have a relationship with you. Next question. So what's your vision? Jesus goes on in the verses and says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's interesting in the Greek language here, the words healthy and unhealthy uh, has, it's not just healthy in general, it's healthy in terms of, it can translate generous, and unhealthy is um, stingy or ungenerous. So it says if your eyes are healthy and generous, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy and stingy or selfish or ungenerous, your whole body will be full of darkness. God wants us to have a vision that's a generous outlook. Why does he want that? He wants that because that's how he is. And when you are like the Father, that's when your life is the best it can be. Being like God, being like your Father. I remember, as a, again, I was just a Christian. I was 15 years old. I was in town with my friend one, one Saturday afternoon, me and my friend Brian. We were walking through the streets of Glasgow, and we came across a homeless guy. We were just two teenagers hanging out in town, having a nice after Saturday afternoon. And Brian, who was a Christian as well, he saw this homeless guy and said, Peter, let's take him for some food. And I thought, okay. I kind of thought, all right, I'll just go with this. And Brian took this guy, and he, this guy was in a wheelchair. He had arthritis in his arms, and he's in a wheelchair, and he stank of urine. He, he, he was uh, living, sleeping rough, and he was obviously in a bad situation. 
and he, he stank, he looked scruffy. But Brian, just being a really generous-hearted guy, just said, let's take him for lunch. And we took him to the St. Enoch Centre in Glasgow and had a sit-down lunch with him. But to be honest, I was kind of thinking, what if some of my mates from school see me? I was just a little bit self-conscious. And uh, anyway, we'd done our good deed. <laughs> and I thought, right, Brian, let's get on with our afternoon. But Brian said, no, Peter, let's just hang out with this guy. And Brian was just doing a really awesome thing. Brian just spent time with him, showed him love, took him for lunch. Then we spent the afternoon taking him around the town and we hung out with this homeless guy for the afternoon. And there was me just feeling utterly awkward, not wanting to be doing that, resenting it, being ungenerous in my attitude. That night I went home and I'd just become a believer just you know, a few months before that. And I was going through a Bible reading plan in Luke's gospel. And that night's reading just happened to be <laughs> Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, it describes a rich man who made life all about this life. And then there was a poor man living at his gate who was living for God and for eternity. And both of them died. And the rich man, all his life, had, not looked, had looked down on the poor man, had never given him any food, never cared for him, treated him with disdain. Didn't even let the dogs that he had. He fed the dogs better than he fed the poor man at his gate. And the rich man died, and the poor man died, and the rich man went to hell, and the poor man went to heaven. And I was reading these verses, having just lived the way I'd lived and had this thinking attitude that I just had that afternoon in Glasgow. And I suddenly realized it was like, it was, it was such a vivid moment. God spoke to me. And I got on my knees in my bedroom and I wept. I realized, God, I've been so completely arrogant, snobbish, and I looked down on a fellow human being. And I repented before God for my attitude towards the poor. And I thank God, he, in that moment, there was a transformation in my heart. And I thank God he did that, because today we have the privilege as a church of working among some of the poorest of the poor in our city and around the world. That's our passion. Folks, God wants you to have the right vision, a generous outlook, a generous vision. C.S. Lewis describes people who understand eternity, who understand God and the impact it has in this life. Listen to what he says. If you read history, he says you will find the Christians who did most in the present world were just those who thought most about the next world. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Aim at heaven, C.S. Lewis says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. What's your vision? And then finally, who's your master? And this is where Jesus comes into land, and he, he challenges, who is our master? Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What a challenge. I mean, he, he makes money out almost to be like a god here. And in fact, in some translations, it translates that you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was the name of a Babylonian god, the god of wealth. And Jesus is saying, you can't serve God and money. You can't. And, and, and it's, we, in a secular world where the reality is we don't carve the idols and bow down in front of the idols, but people do worship their money. <laughs> people make it all. How do you know you're serving money? Here's, here's some hallmarks. How many of your decisions are based purely on money? You know, that decision, I can't go and do those things because of money. Well, since when did money make your decisions? 
The only question you should ultimately consider is, God, is God calling you to do those things? Okay? If he's calling you to do those things, then why do you let money make the decision? Let God make the decision. Um, oh, I can't get married yet. I can't afford it. Wait a minute. What about, does, does God think you should get married just now? Forget money. You don't need a big show. Why are you letting money make, money make your decisions? That's like make, treating you like a God. Hey, I can't have kids yet. Do I have money? Well, why would you want to let money make that decision? Let God make your decisions. Follow God. God will provide. God's will, God's bill. As he guides, he provides. That's how it is. How many lose sleep over money? Now you're treating money like a God. Why would you lose one moment of sleep over money? Argue over money. How many people's relationships have been devastated because of arguments over money? Why would you let money involve itself in your marriage? Do not let money be your God. Serve God. Timothy says, Paul wrote to Timothy and says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. The question isn't, do you have money? The question is, does money have you? If, if your attitude is, I couldn't live without it, then money has you. God has no problem with blessing you. God has no problem even with prospering you. But God has a problem is if money has you. God has no problem with money. It's just neutral. Money's neutral. But if you love money, it's no longer neutral. It's become an idol. It has you, and it's making your decisions for you, and that's dangerous. Let God be your God. Do you love God and use money, or do you use God and love money? You've got to make money your servant and God your master. You see, money promises everything else that God alone can give. Money promises identity, security, significance, happiness, and joy. But only God can give you those things. You make God your master and money your slave, then God will give you the happiness, joy, and security, and significance, and the peace that you need in this life. Also, as you apply God's financial principles, he will bless you financially because money's not your God, he can trust you with it. And most importantly, if you make God your master and money your servant, you have an eternal inheritance. If Jesus is Lord of your life, is he also Lord of your finances? Let Jesus Christ, let God in the heaven, be Lord of your entire life, including your money. If you've been worrying and consumed with money, if you've been making life all about this life, it's time to get perspective. You're an eternal being. Your life is destined to go on for all eternity. And right here in this life, we could be consumed with worry or consumed with greed or consumed with materialism. It fills our focus and our vision. But God wants to be king in our hearts in this life. And as we live for the glory of God, for the blessing of others, for the blessing of his purposes in his church, we have an eternal inheritance it's ours in Jesus Christ, all through his death and resurrection on the cross. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for your challenge. And God, it does come as a challenge to us. And we, and we see our lives here, Lord, and we see our need. And we so often, God, I, I'm speaking as if I don't get worried. I, I do get worried, God. I, sometimes I, I find myself worrying about finances. Sometimes I find myself worried about how things are going to work out. But God, thank you. Our testimony has been as we turn to you, you lift our worries, you quell our fears, 
you bring calm where there's been a storm. You help us overcome. God, you know every person joining me today. For the, Lord, for those who are in debt and they feel sinking in debt, I pray, God, give them the wisdom and the, and the focus with your help to come clear from debt. God, for those who are longing to make a difference and be able to be a blessing financially, I pray you would resource resources. I pray you'd give to givers. God, for those of you who are trusting you for your provision in areas of their life, we thank you, God, you are our provider. God, thank you, you don't just provide us with spiritual blessings, but God, you're interested in the practical things in life. So many promises are not just referring to us being blessed spiritually, but are also about being blessed financially and physically. And we give thanks you care about our spirit and soul and body. God, I pray blessing on the people of God today. Just take a moment to pray your own response to God. If, you've, if you realize that you've got to make some shifts financially or in the way you're thinking and the way you're operating, just take a moment to pray about those in God's presence just now. While people are praying, maybe you're joining today and the big message for you is God really loves you and he wants to be in your life. Maybe you're not there with God yet. Maybe you're not in relationship with God yet. I'm so pleased you've joined us for church. But why not, why not for you? Why not let Jesus be Lord of your life? Truth is that Jesus Christ came into this world. He died a remarkable death on the cross to save you and me from our sins. Will you accept Jesus today as your savior? If you want Jesus in your life, be your savior, then pray this prayer with me just now, just one line at a time. Pray, dear God, thank you for loving me so much. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the dead on the third day. Take first place in my heart and life. I declare Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I know that God heard you. He accepts you. You're saved. You're his for all eternity. Let us know you prayed because we want to help you on that journey. If you're on the platform, let us know. Click the I prayed the prayer button. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube or on Facebook, why not send us a message to say, I prayed that prayer. I've accepted Jesus because we want to do everything we can to equip you and help you grow in that journey. God bless you. Let's worship God now.